Hello and welcome to. Damn, I won't say shoot the piano player. What's the season called, Joel? We cut heads. No, oh. no, it's <laughs> high and low, high and low. No, I can't remember now. Oh, it's dark habits. Nuns with guns. <laughs> uh, dark habits in El Motivar podcast. And uh, yeah, you heard him already, J Dog, my friend who lives in Utah. Why are you telling everybody where I live? It's because of my <laughs> strangely conservative religious beliefs. Exactly why? That's why we're that's why we're good friends because we're we're the same politically. Uh, I see you. Okay. By the way, I told you not to have women on this podcast anymore. No, it's, can you believe that? Can you believe somebody would actually say that? I apologize, Aaron. Yeah. That was a joke. <laughs> yeah. So. uh First off, uh, joining for the first time this season is uh, Anne Gambrill. She's been on almost every season. I think Spike Lee season was the one that didn't. Yeah, I didn't do any Spike Lee. So yeah, um, otherwise. Spike Lee's bad with women. I don't think you missed much. <laughs> what are you talking about? I mean, we watched a Melville film, so for that's women, true. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I, there that's was a not woman. a deal breaker. I guess yeah. I would say for I watching. I think there movies. was a woman in this movie. I think there's one. There there's is precisely couple. one credited woman. And yeah. in the interview in the little Criterion booklet, Melville actually says, yeah, I kind of handicapped myself by not writing any women this time. That wasn't smart. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. I mean, anyway. she's, a, she's a plot piece. She's not like... She's yeah. not a character, no. it's No, there's no, there's no women with speaking roles in this movie. It's the opposite of the Bechdel test. <laughs> that, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that still has interesting, interesting value sometimes. Mm-hmm. And um, with me is someone from Southtown. He's in the pink today. Uh, it's Justin Harrison. Wubba wubba. <laughs> <laughs> and these two, I don't think these two have any clue what we're talking about. <laughs> I'll, uh, we should link them Thorgy's video essay about, the, about um, at least Fatal Fury, if not King of yeah. Fighters. It's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, famous for, um, those years, famous for really bad English translation. Some of and, which was apparently ordered by the studio itself. Yeah, hmm. And the new ones still have bad translations, and it's hilarious, and I love that they keep it. Yep. Never change, SNK. Well, I wouldn't uh, mind if they weren't owned by M- by MBS, but that's not really yeah, on yeah, them. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> I don't want to talk about this for anymore. Anyway, so this is a <laughs> this is an episode that was planned for last season. I don't know. Shit happened, and then cut to now. Uh, I found a list of movies Pedro Motivar says he's a fan of slash loves, and this mm-hmm. is on the list. And so I was like, "Oh, I can move the episode over." Nice, excellent. So, uh, yeah, we could have done Porky's. Porky's is on that list. <laughs> no, it isn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> I read the wrong list. Apparently. <laughs> It's on the other side of that list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is movies Pedro Almodovar has never seen or has no opinion on? <laughs> it's movies he has never seen, he has heard about, and so he's invented a movie in his own mind. <laughs> I mean, what, what, I, what would even Porky's come look like for like someone in Spain who grew up in like the the, the Franco era? Well, first of all, like that movie's all about like perversion, right? Uh, the, the dudes yeah, are I think Almodovar would be into it. He'd be like, maybe nothing there's they're like doing is weird. There's a voyeurist aspect. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot going on. Is there a summer camp in Porky's? I know nothing about Porky's. 
Uh, no, I don't think so. I think it happens during school, the school year. Okay. I Tim was going to say... Like, plays the gym teacher. All right. Like, if... I was going to say, like, if there was a summer camp, then I'd be curious to see what uh, summer camp during the Franco years looks like. Mm. <laughs> Probably <But> fascist. <laughs> almost certainly. So, summer camp. Yeah. It'd probably be super Catholic, anti-gay. Mm-hmm. Just a good time all around for everyone, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, first <laughs> off, before we get into it, um, trans rights are human rights. Learn what's happening in your area. Vote. Get involved somehow. Just don't sit around. Because even if where you live, everything seems fine, one election could change everything. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, stay alert. Give a damn. Exactly. <laughs> All people are people. Yep. Okay. Yeah. That sounds like, that sound like All Lives Matters, but I don't mean it that way. I mean, all people, never mind. No, no I, I think it's, it's well said. I take your meaning. Okay. Oh, I, I, uh, so this is a Melville movie. Last season was like my big uh, discovery of Melville because when I first saw uh, Lost Samurai years ago and I did not like it at all. I thought like it was a, some real boring bullshit and listen to the episode on it from last season. I, I I like it slightly more but it's still not my favorite. Um, but uh, seeing other Melville stuff and you go like, okay, that that's just like a weird outlier. And so... Uh, this is the Red Circle, Le Cirque Rouge, <laughs> and uh, so, J Dog, had you seen this movie before? I told you we're doing this. Uh, do you mean Joel or do you mean me? Oh, oh yeah, you got oh, two, fuck J-dogs. two J's. Uh, uh, Joel. Joel. Joel, are you alive? <laughs> hey, I'm like talking to myself, I just realized. <laughs> but luckily, oh. <laughs> I'm very interesting, and many people enjoy hearing me talk to myself, including all the people in my house right now. It's a, it's a huge party. They're just in the other room. Yeah, I got a lot of friends. <laughs> yeah, I've already seen. I, I'd already seen. This <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably anticipation of recording on it uh, the other time we were doing this stuff like that. Mm. And I ruined my opening line, I realized, because mm. I was on mute and then I forgot I even did it. Anyways, let's oh. let's re- rewind. Let's let's put this in before I say anything else. Three, I won't, but two, still. one, call me Ishmael. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I had a similar reaction to this one that you had to the samurai interesting in that i kind of got what was going on but there was something uh i have like an old review and it says like it took me four watt times to watch this movie and it's not because i was losing interest it's because things kept interrupting my watch mm. Mm. to watch so, this one le cercle rouge yeah mm. oh and so this time I just sat down and I was sucked in and I liked it a lot. Uh, it's a kind, nice. it feels it's a, a lot. Of, yeah. mm-hmm. 
it's definitely kind of movie where it's like you kind of have to give it your full attention and you can't take breaks. <laughs> yeah. It is uh, demanding. It's so, long. It's pretty long for this this time period of movie. Two hours yep. and 20 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, all like from top to bottom, it's like credits are almost non-existent. And you have like a 30-minute completely silent high scene. Yeah. Taking, taking some tough. breasts on. Right. Ride. <laughs> yeah, I'm exci- I'm excited to talk about that heist sequence because oh goodness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh okay, so uh uh Justin, maybe you probably said this the last episode last time you were on a Melville movie. Both of you were last on Melville movies. Mm-hmm. I just kinda realized. But but uh Justin, how did you first hear about Melville? I think it must have been in college, most likely in conversation with my mentor, since we w- um, I went to the now defunct Marlboro College in Vermont, which was by design a teensy tiny little school where, by your final year, you were more or less expected to be working one-on-one with your professors in classes that you more or less created. And since I was teaching a class on crime and obsession in American film, crime film came up a lot, and I'm pretty sure that's how my mentor suggested I watch The Samurai, which I liked well enough. And then grad school, I uh, checked out Army of Shadows from the library, and mm-hmm. was just astonished. To Today, it remains one of my go-to answers for favorite movie. It's the best and movie ever made. <laughs> and then you and then you uh, introduced me to Leon Moore and Priest last year. Now that was more Martin Kessler because I never heard of that one. Mm. You facilitated <laughs> my being introduced to Leon Moore and Priest last year. Yeah, hot, uh, hot Priest Belmondo. Oh yeah, yeah. And <laughs> here we have hot bank robber Elaine Delon and <laughs> scruffy, hot, ambiguous terrorist Jean Maria Vol- Valente. Yeah, I'm gonna say he was a terrorist. He 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 demanded full attention on him at all times. He's one of those kind of people. Yeah, apparently Melville hated working with him, which a lot of people hate working with him. Who's yeah. that? Uh, the, that tracks. The other guy with the curly Vogel. hair. The ex- the escaped convict. Oh, the murderer is the clone. Okay, the murderer. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he's in um for a few dollars more, and I don't think he did any any other um. Uh, Leone movies because he's also he's... in a fistful of dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fistful oh, okay. of dollars. Yeah, he plays the he, he play, I think he plays one of the family in fistful of dollars, and he's the big bad in for a few dollars more. Yeah, and he's he's in it with Klaus Kinski, which I can't imagine those two egos <laughs> fighting each other on set. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I I find it striking that. Like you know, leaving like even setting aside the fact that he was probably an incestuous sex creep, like mm-hmm. multiple people offered to assassinate Klaus Kinski over the course of his life, for good reason. Yeah, <laughs> guy was a fucking terror. Anyway, so uh, so uh, that it for your Melville um thing, Justin. Yes, um, I mean I I'd, I'd wanted to see this for a long time. It was out of print. On in the, on the U.S. for an age, it came back into print, picked it up, and watched it this morning. So okay. And uh, uh, Aaron, mm-hmm. how did you first hear Melville? You pro- maybe did that in the first episode. 
Yeah, I can't remember. I can't remember talking about that. Um, I so I I was introduced to French New Wave, I guess, first in probably high school. I had a friend, John, who was really into Godard and specifically Alphaville. Like all of his screen names were Alphaville related and blah blah blah. And um, so I think I watched Godard first, and then um, from there. It was probably Le Samurai and then Le Cercle Rouge. I hadn't watched um, the one that we did, the, what was oh, it? Second Souffle or whatever, the Second Wind, is that what it was second, called? Second Breath, I think it's a second little. Second Breath, yeah, breath. that makes sense. Um, uh, I hadn't watched that one since we, um, until we saw it, so, but yeah, Le Samurai and um, Le Cercle Rouge I had, I had seen a few times. This was probably my third or fourth watch of this one. Okay. Um, so I, I mean, I, I, you, you I really like you. Alan Delon, so. I mean, as an actor, doesn't? not as a person. Uh, yeah, okay, <laughs> thanks clarify. for clarifying that. I know, he's a trash person, but. Yeah. Certain allegations that. You know, we're not going <laughs> to talk about his allegations, but they're out there. Yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, so. Let's look. Uh, so, first off, I want to get this little thing out of the way uh one of the crew people on le cirque rouge is uh pierre where is it um pierre tati jacques tati's son oh he's huh. a second unit per a second what is the second unit of this one no he he's assistant director on this one and he's assistant director on un flick the uh, the last Melville movie. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's fun. Yeah, he he's a he's a second unit guy slash producer for a little bit. But uh, like a French Connection two is probably the most famous movie over here he worked on. Mm. But anyway, I think it's cool that Jacques Tati's son. Yeah, very uh, cool. Was, was a Melville guy. Mm-hmm. It tracks. Like. I mean, Melville built like built and oh, and operated his own studio for a long while there, so he was one of the names. Yeah, I mean, and they were the two, like the two of the biggest names in French film. And uh, mm-hmm. although Jacques Tati fucked himself over financially real bad uh, by this point, but uh, Melville was still doing fine. So like uh. Played time. He, Jacques um, uh, Tati, spent his own money on production. Oh and the giant dear! Bomb, and uh, he had to sell the rights to basically everything to mm. survive financially for the next few years. Yeah, r- real bad. It's rough. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, the Cirque Rouge, um, J Dog. What is this movie about? <laughs> well, the Buddha said that uh, <laughs> I don't remember something about that. That that's not the Buddha I learned. Anyways, the the larger version is actually this monk. Uh, eh, let's not get into it. This movie is about a couple of dudes, one that was on his way to prison, one that just got released from prison, and somehow their universes connect. And they are going to rob a jewelry store. So there is a policeman who uh, I kept thinking, like, 
if they remade this, that would be Liam Neeson, and he'd be less interesting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. You're it's not like wrong, though. Wait, which one? There's two policemen. You mean yeah. Mata- the good one? The hunter. The one with yeah. the... Yeah, the not, one with the cats? Not the sniper. Okay. Yeah. I can't, can you imagine Liam Neeson trying to prevent, pretend to be joyful to see cats? That's true. I'm no. Liam Neeson. I miss my mm. wife. <laughs> I hope Come. my kids are doing okay. Come here. <laughs> uh, Fluffykins. <laughs> oh, you're mad at me for not being here for three days. Hmm? <laughs> We're just making a joke about Liam Neeson's dead wife. Wow. We did nothing. That I was, was Justin. That was... I know. I said didn't. Did, did. Well, I'm, going to, I'm going right to hell. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, he was in a movie where he had a snow plow. Um, so, yes. the Mr. So, there, there's an incredibly uh, cool <laughs> heist movie, but these people have everything working against them from the moment that uh, they meet, and even before that, of course. One of them is, like, hot, wanted by the law. The other got convinced to do this jewelry heist, thinking that, like, okay, he said it was going to easy money, I could trust this person, except everyone from his past is working against him. And then there is the sniper cop, former cop guy, who is having this amazing dream sequence, or, or like, mm-hmm. he's, got, he's got the DTs or something. Mm-hmm. spiders and lizards and rats increasingly horrible vermin yeah mm-hmm. i was like oh those lizards are adorable he's like <laughs> yeah they were very cute Give me those cuties I, i'm i'd be very curious to know like how they did that like were they using actual animal actors were they doing the sp- animation the spiders were very fake oh the yeah. spiders but i think fake. everything else seemed real yeah. one of the lizards moved in a way that looked like it could have been stop motion to me but mm. i'm also not an animation expert by any by any stretch of the imagination <laughs> no so. they they uh, if anything they did puppetry with any of those things but yeah. uh, as far as i could see any of the lizard things that we focused on looked uh real to me the thing I love the most about that scene, though, is the wallpaper in oh, that it, room. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. I have a personal story about that wallpaper. Go ahead. Um, my late paternal grandparents were both massive Francophiles, as hmm. in got chased off of Julia Child's vineyard wow. Francophiles. And for many years, they had wallpapered the entire bathroom and a cousin to that, like, aggressively garish striped pattern. Yeah, like Jacques Demy type of... I feel like Jacques Demy used that kind of wallpaper uh, in his yeah, sets. I know, it looked like um, Umbrella of a Cherbourg to me. Yeah, exactly. It was a common wallpaper practice. I mean, you'd be surprised how many buildings you go into that used to have wallpaper on them. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually, somebody wised up. Are people still doing wallpaper? There's probably somebody, right? Sometimes. Oh, it's so unique. <laughs> like that's <laughs> as unique as nobody likes it, dude. Yeah. When oh, my yeah. brother took over my grand my grandparents' apartment for a little while, the first thing he did was uh, dedicate about a solid week to chipping off the wallpaper. Oh my goodness! Hmm. Including a the giant terrifying. Um, portrait i cannot for the life of me i cannot recall who it was um 
I think it might have been Renoir, the giant terrifying Renoir painting of his kid in a clown suit, which he had to bribe his kid <laughs> to pose for. Wow. My grandparents had had plastered that thing behind their bed. Wow. And just to make matters worse, if, you, if you've seen Twin Peaks in the sequence where the true identity of Laura's killer is revealed and he kills again, that painting on prominent display. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. But yeah, the the wallpaper only makes the um, alcohol withdrawal induced hallucinations more terrifying. Yeah, I mean, it, it like the vertical stripes, like you know, almost resemble jail bars, like prison bars. Um, I mean, that's the thing. I don't know. I it's another theme of the cops and robbers things. Like, who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? Um, I also feel like they might have heightened the ceiling for the first part of that scene. It just seemed extra tall. In that, um, I don't know. Oh, yeah, I was, I was surprised scene. to I was surprised to learn that was his real house because like it's so dreamy and weird. And then you could the, he wakes up and it's like, is that that's his actual wallpaper? Yeah, yeah. And they go back and it's he's a little bit better, but yeah, it's less terrifying. Yeah, his and for all that we do not learn a whole lot about any of the leads prior to what they get up to in the Red Circle. Um, J- Jansen, the sniper, mm-hmm. whatever is implied by his history is fascinating because he's living out of suitcases in a house that he evidently owns, and he's you know framed his revolver from the French police international mm-hmm. trick shooting competition, and he's you know prisoner of the demon in a bottle mm-hmm. until he's not. They say something about how he... So, yeah, they say he was a cop, but then they say... I forget what the line is, but it's something like he couldn't handle... He he couldn't handle it or something. like Corrup- I, I don't, Corruption he, within the force, basically. Corruption, yeah. It's like, Which, who's, yeah, who's the right side? Right. Which is, you know, obviously very ironic because he, in this role, is seems like to be a dirty cop, even though he's not a cop anymore. Um and yet he has more integrity than our ostensible protagonist ultimately does. Mm-hmm. A cab. That's all I gotta say. A cab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But in and, French. Yeah, the actor. Uh, I think uh, Ives. Um, Montan. Yeah, Eves. I, I've always oh, Eve, said Eves. Eve. Eve. I'm yeah. not. I'm not really sure. Anyway, his he was married to Simone, uh, the lady from Diabolique. And huh. oh shows. yeah yeah nice Simone Sinore oh yeah he's another guy who's like um like Gian he's Italian he was of Italian origin hmm. yeah I think uh, Lane Delon is also French Italian interesting hmm. well it is Europe it's much easier to cross yeah, one country to another than it is here very close to each other yeah Jay Dog were you done. I don't know. Anyways, they all get caught at the end. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we interrupted you, sorry. No, that's what... It's it's okay. I mean, it's it's like... It's a a fairly basic plot and story where it's like, yeah, there's a bank robbery, cops, you know, robbers, blah, blah, blah. But it's a... The the execution just makes it so cool and special. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and interesting that you would use the word cool because this is one of the most impeccably wintry films I've seen mm-hmm. in a while. Mm-hmm. From, from the way that light that no oh, lights that night lights circa 1970 looked in the dark to win to the the wintry mix that starts falling pretty consistently once they reach Paris it is a, it, like this is a cold film visually and mm-hmm. to a certain point emotionally i i for all that melville gets talked about as like this as like like this champion of cool reserved crime cinema there are moments in this that I found really tremendously moving. Um, the big one being when, during the heist sequence, when Jansen the Sniper arrives and plays his part to perfection. Mm-hmm. A moment that he quite clearly did not think he would be capable of doing even once he had arrived at the jewelry store that's being knocked off, even once he'd set everything up. And then he pulls it off and finds himself with restored dignity. It reminded me a lot of that bit from Rio Bravo when, um, not John Wayne and not the young singer, but the alcoholic former deputy of John Wayne. The the Rat Pat guy. Yes, when he is able to pour a shot that he'd been strongly considering thinking back into a bottle without drop without spilling a drop, it reminded me of that, both in terms of like the literal connection wherein Jansen consciously decides that he doesn't need to take a celebratory swig from his flask, and mm-hmm. it, it just it's a moment of very real dignity that just kind of got me, you know? Yeah, I was positive he was going to drink and things would go belly up. It's like, oh, it, they, they, they succeeded. Well, also that he initially sets it up on the tripod and then at the last second, you know, use, like takes it off and uses his own like muscle memory. And even, you know, Vogel and Corey are like shocked at first because they think, oh no, he's going to mess us up. Um, yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. And, like, uh, talking about real Bravo, I was, like, watching this, like, oh, this feels like Howard Hawks if he did a heist movie. <laughs> yeah, it really does. And, you know. It has, like, the, the, the focus on, like, the, the people being professionals at what they do. Mm-hmm. Because, like, that's a big Melville, not Melville, a uh, Howard Hawks thing. Yep. It has, like, that cool, like, kind of, like, laid back energy to it that like a lot of hawk stuff well the hawk stuff i've seen has like a laid-back energy to it even when it's like kind of more serious it's still still time to be like th- like th- there's still like moments where like let's just sit and drink for a little bit before we do anything yeah there mm-hmm. is like it takes the time to hang out whether that's a little thing like vogel oh going ahead and sticking his hat on the hat shelf in the oak before he escapes from <laughs> Captain Matei in the opening of the film or when he and Corey find themselves having to de-dust Corey's apartment which he hasn't been home to for five years because he's <laughs> been in jail the entire time 
and you know, of course, it's tense because Corey is being stalked by the by the men who want him dead, and they don't know if the apartment's compromised or not. But it's also just like, okay, this is five years of dust and mold. We got to get this place cleaned mm-hmm. out. Um, and uh, to quote, um, I think David Brothers from the Maga Splaining podcast. Um, smoking is awful for you, but as a storytelling device, smoking is so useful, mm-hmm. and it just looks so effortlessly cool. Particularly during the scene where Corey and Vogel first meet mm-hmm. and establish their bond in part by sharing cigarettes. Mm-hmm. And you know, Vogel, who at this point we've seen be desperate and ruthless is a little taken aback that anyone would show him any kind of courtesy or kindness to the point that he's just like, wait, you're not double crossing me. What is this? I don't understand this. <laughs> yeah. I think he, um, tossed him, um, a pack of gitanes, which is the, the same kind that, um, Oh gosh. What's his name? Um, Oh my gosh. Sorry. I totally lost it. Gainsborg, Serge Gainsborg <laughs> used to used to smoke them. Oh. Um, it's like yeah, there. There's two like main French cigarettes from that era, Galois and Gitanes, and I could tell when it was that blue pack that he sent that he had tossed him a pack of Gitanes. Oh okay, like like JB Scotch and Jalo movies. Yeah. <laughs> it's a thing. If you watch Jalo movies, you see JB Scotch featuring in them a lot mm-hmm. I don't know why maybe it was big in Italy for some reason but it shows up in a lot of Italian yeah. movies in the 70s I mean, it's the mark can, of who's cool you know. if you can get it you use it yeah. like, mm-hmm. I mean, like uh, uh, I just like uh, like uh, like one thing that really stuck out was, was like Jean Maria Volante because he's kind of a chameleon a bit Mm-hmm. He always plays he someone is. kind of someone like you, you don't like, and you and you can't really pinpoint why you don't like him. But he's always like and he's either like playing. Uh, I don't know, thoughts weren't clear. And, like I see him play like kind of weird creeps. I see him play religious killers. I see him play like weird, uh, like cowboys. And it's just he's and he just effortlessly effortlessly seems to have. That, like be able to like change his, his like his, his vibe his aura at every time I see him and it's it's just, it's just a, a such a weird skill like that that's you can't that can't be taught like you just have to be innately have that skill to be like to change everything about how you come off even like but still have like that signature to him yeah I mean I guess building off that um per the uh credits booklet I'm looking at here. Um, Colette Badeau's costumes I think are a significant part of why the, why the Red Circle's look works so well and I think the cast used them marvelously. Like I know early on when Vogel is fleeing the police dragnet and he strips down his skivvies but takes the time to tie his clothes up in a bundle and hurl them over the the river he's he's about to flee across because it's the dead of winter mm. and when we later see him he's like he's gone to the trouble of t- of trying to retie his tie and it <laughs> like it's it is a 
speaking of someone who cannot tie a tie, mm-hmm. it is a horrible tie job. It just like, okay, you need a mirror, but <laughs> it speaks so it, it speaks so well to Vogel's pragmatism that he would want to try and blend in even actively on the run, even knowing that he looks like a mess, it's still less suspicious to have a badly tied tie than it is to have no tie at all at the, at the time. So, Well, and looks-wise, I mean, everyone's in a trench, and yep. you know, most of them are wearing hats, Like, so you really can't, if you're like scanning a crowd, you really can't tell who's the cop and who's the robber. Um, and it just, I don't know, I... That, to me, that's the whole point of this movie is that it's like there's some kind of moral code that everyone has subscribed to. And and sometimes that aligns with their profession. But in the, in the case of, you know, Jansen, it might not. In the, but it's some sort of it's some sort of code that they've that they subscribe to. And so um, they all have their roles. But looking for as an outsider, like as the viewer, they all look alike. <laughs> like they're all middle eight, you know, early to middle aged white men. Most of them are, you know, brunettes. Um, no facial hair except for um, Alan Delon with a sweet, sweet mustache. Um, and so it's, it's. I don't know. It's hard to just tell who's like a goodie and who's a baddie. And I guess the point is that they're, you know, no one's a goodie or baddie. But um, yeah, I find that very interesting, just visually. It is, and to go, like, the like building off that, like, in a world where, you know, your fate may be set from bef- from the moment you were born, like the, like the fake Buddha quote that opens the film, mm-hmm. it's, you know, if men are to meet, you know, no matter what, that on that day they will inevitably find themselves in the red circle, not actually so that Arthur Gautama, that was... Um, Jean-Pierre Melville giving Edward Said plenty to write about. Um, but within the context of whatever your destiny may be, you still have the agency of how to conduct yourself. You know, Vogel, during the climax, does not have to follow Corey to the house and right. try and like make a legitimate attempt to save his life. None of them do. Yeah, it's never really explained why he's there, why Vogel followed them. The vibes, man. So the vibes were off. Yeah. And like, like one thing I like about Melville movies, I love about Melville movies, is that they always feel like more authentic than like any other crime movie. Because Melville, like it's it's common knowledge, like he was part of French Resistance that became organized crime, and so like he knew these people. These mm-hmm. were his friends. So like he, so w- the way he portrays these people is like this doesn't feel like fake movie bullshit it feels mm-hmm. like it feels like oh this person like feel like he actually you know you can tell like he, he knows people like this mm-hmm. well yeah no one's saying like a quippy one-liner before they shoot someone they just shoot someone yep and he he takes real time like that's another that's the thing i really love at melville is that he's like not afraid of like silence and use of time um which to me shows how much he like respects his viewers that we will sit through it and watch it. Um, and, you know, I just, I like that aspect of it. Like, even with when um, Jansen is creating the bullets, which that's one of the most fascinating scenes to me, because he has to create this bullet that 
won't completely shatter the wall that he's going to hit, but it, it will hit it enough that it puts pressure on this tiny little button. It's just, the you know, who, who like, he's such a genius, clearly, this character. Um, but it's, like, very quickly edited him at his, like, little kitchen counter making these bullets, but it's not so edited that you don't see the whole process. Like, you see it, and you take your time with it, um, and so you see this, like, sort of master at work. Um, yeah, I like his uh, use of time. I was scared the whole time during that sequence that the ash would get on the bullet stuff and ruin it. Mm. Oh, yeah. I think, like, and, and then, in like, that, le- and that, like, re- leads us right into the big 24-minute uh, heist sequence. And I, mm-hmm. I think my favorite moment from that whole piece outside of Jensen's, of Jensen making the shot might be when Corey and Vogel are breaching the the bathroom window. Yeah. Because like, you know, it showcase you know, it showcases their professionalism. It sh- it showcases Delon and Valente's physical acting and the way that they like physically play off of each other is really interesting. Um mm-hmm. particularly yeah, yeah. like yeah, you no know, yeah. sorry, Spencer. You really see, like, Volante is just noticeably taller and more imposing than than Delon, and that that adds like the character. Like, uh, there's not much dialogue. There's enough, but you know, uh, there's not much to begin with. But uh, just like things like Delon being more average height, and then seeing uh, him next to Volante, who is taller and more imposing, and like. Uh, like he he's like in a lesser movie he'd be the the wild card that ruins everything. <laughs> no, and in in this case, if anything, he's the most reliable. Like, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, Joel, did you like this movie? Like, uh, what stuff do you like? Yes. Did, did you like the cats? <laughs> Oh, of course I like the cats. <laughs> I was so fluffy. happy when I saw left two cats, and then he said another name, like, oh, yes, three cats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, friend. <laughs> oh, friend, the baby. The place is way too clean for him to actually own three cats, like, even with a cleaning lady. Come on. I mean, maybe he has his maybe he has his minions clean it for him. His minions? <laughs> like, his, like, his, like his second banana cop? Yeah. Guy seems pretty loyal. I'd be willing to bet that he's like willing to like come over and feed the cats while he's off trying to take Vogel to jail. Oh, feeding the cats is one thing, but you know, we could get all the fur off of that furniture and I mean they oh, are he f- definitely has a housekeeper. It smells bad. I mean that's so common in like mid century stuff, is like there's like a, always a lady who stops by so I couldn't twice tell a week. Him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh yeah. I mean, what do I like about the movie? Yeah, you do Yeah. I mean, you guys are already talking about the competency of these con men, and as opposed to, I feel like when you're watching like a you know quote unquote heist movie, there's always going to be one loose, you know, somebody does something wrong that's going to ruin everything and stuff like that. And the, the thing that ruins everything in this movie is that they are kind of too trusting of other criminals mm. in ways. It's like, I mean. Just imagine the the scene where uh, Del, uh, 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 
I'm good. I'm good at remembering things. <laughs> Why did I change? Oh, my screen's to something else. Yeah, so Delon gets pulled over, essentially blocked by those two people that just happen to come upon him. And they have him out in the forest. I'm thinking Miller's Crossing, but obviously nobody's on their knees begging. Like, that's a situation where they did hesitate to shoot for some reason. Just long enough for the other guy to be like, oh, hold up, put your hands up, whatever. <laughs> uh, if that guy wasn't in the trunk of the car, it'd just be dead. Like, they're not perfect at what they're doing at any point, right? No. And, but somehow him, uh, Delon, and uh, Volente and Montan together make this absolutely perfect team just for that job. Mm-hmm. And, like, the thing that brings it down is, one, the snoop, the, the cop who is relentless, and they trust these people that they think are above board. Yeah. What do you guys think about that scene <laughs> in the police station where they've, they've got the club owner in there and his son, and his son oh, actually yeah. tries to kill himself? Yeah. <laughs> And poor old Inspector Matei is like, I told you not. I told you not to squeeze him. What the hell did you do? And the moral of the yeah, story, yeah, he's he's basically like a broken clock is right twice a day. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> like obviously, yeah, they were like pinning this thing on this kid, um, and it turned out to be correct. Like this kid did have info on some sort of drug deal or something, and so yeah, he was just overcome with guilt. Yep. But that that's kind of like luck of the draw. Like I think there's some luck on both sides here like there's luck that you know there was some kerfuffle back at the truck and so alan delon's character didn't have to open it up and you know valenti's there um there's some luck with the sun you know like being shaked or you know shaken around enough to, to that um that uh santi is is able to be blackmailed or whatever um because I think the skill is there. Like, everyone's very skilled, but they're almost too evenly matched. Like, the, like, Matai or whatever is a good cop. Like, he's, he has good instincts when it comes to, you know, who to shake down and, and who to chase. And then, obviously, you know, with the heist, like, these are very, very skilled criminals. Um, but it's just, like, who has a better case of luck or something? I don't know. Luck or fate. Right. Yes, and the, the 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 bullshit Buddha quote, you know, kind of lays it out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The Buddha said, "Don't don't believe everything you read on the internet." <laughs> yeah, it's just I, 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 I like the like uh, uh, the thing like one thing I always find fascinating is Melville's like the bullshit quotes in front of movies sometimes, where it's like. Yeah, he does it twice uh, with yeah, the samurai. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like I feel like that takes that takes a big ego to be like, eh, this is good. like pe- this will fool people. Well, it's very um, academic. I think it's very like, um, look at me, like I know I know some Eastern philosophy or whatever, and no one's gonna check him. <laughs> like no one's gonna fact check him on that. <laughs> yeah, paging Mr. Saeed so, or Doctor yeah. Saeed. <laughs> I, I do not know if Edward Said had a formal title. I should look. I should, I should check that. Um, Paging the Cohen brothers with Fargo. 
<laughs> you set oh, yeah. you set the premise there based on a true source. You you get this expectation, you know, the, the interesting like this this red circle that two people will suddenly, you know, if they're meant to meet each other, they were meant to meet each other, and that's when the circle. And it, yeah, Saeed was professor, so Professor Saeed, paging mm. Professor Saeed. Um, yeah. um, but, uh, we talked about John Woo before we started recording, but every time I watch another Melville, I'm like, man, John Woo borrowed a lot from Melville. <laughs> I mean, he, like, he actually, like, says as much. There's a little essay in the Criterion booklet. Um, yeah. Like, Quote John Woo, I believe in my world, I believe in brotherhood and everything that goes with it, like honor, loyalty, and friendship. The reason why Le Cherco Rouge is a classic gangster home is because it embodies this kind of romanticism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's this choreography. I think they. I think that's what John Woo sees with Melville, is that there's this, like, everyone has a place, and there's a system of rules set up, and you're just watching these rules either be adhered to or deviated from so either someone has a contract with someone and that contract is fulfilled or someone backstabs someone else and then the action goes that way but it's like the there's some tension in that you at at every point you don't know which way it's going to go and i think that's the same in john woo like at some point someone might pull out a gun or someone might run or someone might, you know, break into somewhere or whatever, but you don't, that there's this tension all the way through because you know that there's some choreography that's being staged, but you're seeing it for the first time. And so you can't predict the next move. And it's like watching someone dance, you know, like, you know that they know the moves, but you don't know the moves. And that's where the tension is. And the question is, how will their code shape those moves? You know, like mm-hmm. in Hard Boiled, when Tony Lung's boss is like, it's okay, Tony Lung, go ahead and execute me because that way you, that way the big battle spare my men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, like, like uh, on paper, when you look at, like, uh, you know, the, the Melville style and everything, it's very rigid. Mm. But, like, but when you watch it, it's so effortless. And mm-hmm. it's the kind of thing, like, when watching, like, Jacques Tati or, like, Ozu mm-hmm. or Kurosawa, you're like, oh, this is easy. And then you, like, consider all the details and aspects that go into it, and you realize, how did they do this? Mm-hmm. It's, it's so, it's so intri- intricate, intricate and precise, and it, it looks effortless and easy. But you know, it, like, this is not effortless and easy. This is, like, the work of someone who's been making movies for, this thing, I think, 30 years at this point. 25 years for him yeah all of the preparation that's going into this all of the teamwork and stuff yeah it's i mean again i think it's very like watching a ballet or something like it's so effortless that you think for a second oh i could do that (laughs) i could i could i could circle out a piece of glass (laughs) and like you know whatever that seems fine or whatever but yeah when you look at the whole thing and it's over this time and it's just so silent tense the whole time it's very clear how hard it is yeah and like this is like speaking of like literal choreography like this is a film with multiple elaborate dance numbers as the background dressing mm, yeah that's true yeah yeah that's a that's yeah. a weird like time period or because uh, yeah, it reminds me of uh <laughs> well I, first Moulin of all Rouge. i kept 
Uh, no, I kept thinking of Dick Tracy actually. Uh, <laughs> but uh, also, I've you know I've seen that kind of club in Japanese movies too, where it's like every I don't know if it's a month or every week. That would be crazy. You've got the guy who's choreography with his women so that they put on this show. It's like people just did that. Yeah, I mean it's in the all it's in like the Rudy Rudy Ray Moore Rudy Ray Moore movies too. There's always like a club. It's like, and someone's booked for a month, and it's a bunch of dancers or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like, it's a thing of the time period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, it it, it turns up in one of my seven in one of my nineteen seventy wrecks, and it like you know, for all that I don't think it's entirely successful, it wouldn't surprise me if there were some echoes of the cl- of the admittedly incredibly cool criminal club here in um. Last night in Soho. Hmm. That came out during a tough semester, so any interest I had was like I have to focus on school right now. So <laughs> I, it's, I, I skipped it. That's fair. Like it, I'm not. Sh- it's interesting, and parts it's of fun. it are phenomenal, and parts of it fall flat on their face. Like it is maybe the messiest film Edgar Wright's made that I've mm-hmm. seen. Yeah, I mean, like I, I Terrence Stamp is in it, so I'm into. So I'm interested because. Old the costuming have, yeah. is really beautiful. Oh, it's and the stunning. Are very fun. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but Joel, going on what you're saying, like the best like club thing like this for a movie that I've seen, and I think you're gonna agree, is Detective Bureau Two Three Go to Hell Bastards. Oh yeah. Uh, when Joe Shishido, while undercover, has to uh, do a, a song and dance number out of nowhere. Yep. <laughs> I'm looking it up now, and I am intrigued. It's a fun movie. It yeah, is. Ch- uh, Mr. Chipmunk Cheeks, uh, Joe Shishido. Mm. He had love plastic surgery. Yeah, I love those cheeks. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, he got them removed later in life, which is kind oh, of Oh, no. Bullshit. Did he get the buckle fat surgery that everyone's getting now? Yeah. Uh, he had them implanted in the first place, so I just... <laughs> yeah, they, they, just yeah, they, they, they took out the implants when he was just an old pulled man. a cord and they fell out. <laughs> but uh, so I barely took notes because the whole time I was, I was so interested in everything. It's like I can't take notes on this. This is going the memory bank. But uh, like like this like there are so many cool moments. And one moment that I had to rewind a couple times because I love it so much was in the pool hall or billiards whatever it was mm-hmm. when Elaine Delon is like this uh, like hit, hitting the ball around and you get the overhead shot mm, and then yeah. you see someone else's hands enter a shot and it's like oh my god he's caught and it's just <laughs> such a brilliant <laughs> little thing it's like yeah yes yeah, like every little like so many small touches are so brilliant in this well, and when I really loved the shot of um, him through the peephole when he shows up at Rico's house mm. um, right after he gets out of jail and you're like, I, I have no idea if, if if he's expected. I have no idea if this person is his friend. Like, you still don't know anything about these characters at that point. So, yeah, that, that tension is, is really interesting. I don't know. I love that aspect. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, the... Like the the winter setting is is real cool. It reminds me of um 
my night my night at mods the Eric Romero movie that is half boring bullshit half genuinely interesting like like uh, kind of like erotic uh, like romantic sort of hmm. at a certain point uh, Romero listen to Romero listen to Romero episode or where me and Joel's kind of go like he's good I guess I don't know <laughs> For two hours. I was gonna say I thought you had mixed feelings about Romero. Uh, yeah, I do. I, I love it when filmmakers jerk off and for you know three hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have to talk about how you can be Catholic and do mathematics at the same time mm-hmm. for ten <laughs> fucking minutes. <laughs> it's so exciting to hear about philosophy for ten minutes. <laughs> no, but like my not mods uh, is a snowy. Um, French movie and has a similar uh, energy of like slow hangout except uh, Melville is a much better filmmaker than Romare mm. I'm pretty sure my um, dreadful college film professor is like shaking his fist and doesn't know why right now <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, you know I can't honestly say that, that Melville is better than Romare I mean how many Romare movies have we seen I've seen I can... three and I I I don't want to watch it anymore. It's, you know, after seeing Claire's knee, I'm like, okay, now I'm ready for uh, happiness because uh, I'm creeped all the way fuck out. Yeah, I Claire's like, knee, sure. Sure is a movie to... that people like. <laughs> sure, is, sure is a movie that men like. Um, yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. Have, have Aaron, Justin, have you seen mm. Claire's knee? I have mm-hmm. not. I have not. I, um... I know Romero by name. <laughs> I think the closest I've come to him would be um, the little nod to him in one of, in one of Fassbender's early films, or a murder victim is named Erica Romare. Mm. <laughs> uh, probably a slight because Fassbender was uh, a maniac. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, really, yeah, Claire, uh, a horrible Claire's... death. Yeah, it's fucked up. It's um, like I'm gonna get sober. One last binge. Oh, I've accidentally killed myself. <laughs> in yeah, the way. But he made like forty movies in fifteen years, so that's still something. Yeah, I mean, a leaf year to soul is an all timer. Yeah. Anyway, but um, uh, yeah, but Claire's knee is a movie about a a, a middle aged man who wants to touch a sixteen year old girl's knee because reasons. Hmm. Huh. Yeah, that sounds like something my college film professor would go for. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's that pretty sounds al- very Catholic <laughs> and very French, <laughs> very seventies, sixties. Yep. Yeah, it's nineteen seventy actually. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah, and there's a weird makeout scene with the underage girl. Like, Why is this well, here? That's not fun. Right? It's a uh, some people love it, and I don't get it. Let's look past the perversion of what he's trying to say in the movies and get really bored by the philosophy instead. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we're here for. So, uh, Joel, is there anything you didn't like about uh, the Red Circle? Yes. Yeah. I I did not like the ending. Hmm. You already talked about how... um, you know, Delon's over there working with the cop that he doesn't know is a cop, trying to get mm-hmm. these jewels fenced. And 
you know, his murder, <laughs> not his murderer, but he murders two people. He's not necessarily a murderer. Uh, wait, he killed two people. That means he is a murderer. I'm so confused. Anyways, he just like shows up out of the blue and you're talking mm-hmm. about that, like on chance, like why would he do that? And it feels like such a, like, we need to wrap this up kind of thing to me. It's, it's like, yeah, stay I here. agree with that. The pacing, I think, is so intentional. And then in that last yeah. uh, act, I guess, um, when Vogel shows up, it's a real wrench. Because mm. you're like, um, why are you here? Mm. And then it just, it's very quick. And I don't know. Yeah, I agree. It's like sort of pattern breaking. Yeah, all falls to shit. And uh, mm-hmm. I assume that was on purpose. This would be like the throw you off at the end. Oh. Yeah. They could have done like a commercial for a magazine. <laughs> I mean, it's possible, but it's just there's some whiplash, I think, as the viewer, because you've been so used to the. You've had two and a, almost half hours of the same <laughs> cadence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's fair. And then you're That's like, oh. It just kind of, after that, you know, wraps up with. Uh, after that weirdo commissioner guy is once again like everybody's evil bro high five <laughs> you know, just kind of walking back towards the scene and then nope that's the end yeah. mm-hmm. and uh I, 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 one thing that Melville always throws me off is like he's considered French New Wave and then you watch mm-hmm. his movies and go like this isn't French New Wave this is a these are like crime movies that are fun. These aren't like philosophical <laughs> art films. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are kind of philosophical. I mean, yeah, I think it's French of. New Wave in the in the futility aspect, in the like um, existential that that sort of aspect. It's yeah, French New is, Wave. That's true. It's bleak. Also, yeah. Yeah, but like, but compared to like every other French New Wave director writer, he's his movies are like by far the most mainstream, the most, the, the, the most masculine. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Godard is a little sometimes, but Agnes Barta was really into masculinity. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's, that's why she married the. That's why she married the most masculine man in the world. Uh, hey. Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> they had, they had a love that was more than a love. I, yep. Yeah. <laughs> They had a they had an arrangement. It worked for them. Yes, it did. Two of my favorite directors of all time. Yes, mm. same. Yeah, and that wasn't like a. I hope that was. I hope that seemed like a cheap joke at shocked at me. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> no, it's. I mean, the, I think it's known. It's like a known secret. You know, do you think Jean Pierre Melville is more masculine looking? He is bald. That's kind of like a. Right. I, I mean, don't think he's more masculine. Like, like the hat helps. I mean, if you're looking at a Demi film or a Melville film, I think it's very clear who subscribes to more classic masculinity in how he they show their you know their characters and their sets and everything. Their uh, color alone, music alone, you know. Parts for ladies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Women speaking. Women wearing clothing. (laughs) <laughs> and, and Hot Priest Belmondo, though, mm-hmm. the, it's, uh, the main star is a woman. It tr- this is true. This is very true. Like It's like <laughs> it's like the one time he, um, you know, uh, made a movie about focused on a woman 
Although they had Belmondo as a hot priest there at the same well, time. Like, well, what, when was that? <laughs> that, that was... 61. Yeah. 60, 61. And, you know, like, women are fairly prominent in Army of Shadows, and yeah. there there is at least a female lead in The Samurai, even if it is very much the Alain Delon show. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that's true. Um, no, it's, it's just when it comes to these, which I would think are his most famous movies, Le Samurai and Le Cirque Rouge. Yeah, they are they, they are very macho. Yeah. Yeah, but not yeah. in like an, an annoying way. It's kind of, it just feels like... Well, it's confident. It's not flop-sweaty. Yeah. yeah. I don't... There's like, nothing it, annoying about the movie, but the people that decide that's going to be their... Uh, that's what they're going to be doing from you know college until whenever they figure out that oh actually I don't need to have a gimmick. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like the like the the whole like Melville persona thing that he built is like he it, for him it worked, but I feel like certain film people are like I can be a Melville type of guy. It's like you didn't fight in World War Two, fuckface. <laughs> <laughs> he yeah, killed Nazis. You, you, you didn't. You can't have this poetic PTSD. Yeah. You, you, yeah, if you were not literally a member of the armed French resistance or a, or a contemporary equivalent thereof, maybe put down the Stetson. <laughs> yeah. And like and, and like whenever like there are sequences like the bank robbery, I always wonder like was this like is this did he, did, is this like based off of like real life doing French resistance like missions? I mean, army absolutely was, both yeah, in the fact definitely. that like like Melville lived that, and that he was adapting a Romanoclef novel from someone who had lived it, but and it's like see the like the professional details and how like how Elaine Delon holds the ladder to not get fingerprints on stuff. Oh, that way, was like, so interesting. Yeah, like for a second, I was like, what? that's weird. And then I, re- I realized, oh, he's not, they're trying to avoid fingerprints, and then you notice like they how they hold everything, how they do everything. It feels like did did Melville do all this? Like, did he and his friends like? go on, like, I don't know, like, what missions they did for French Resistance, but I just wonder, how much of this is based off of real stuff that he did? Yeah, I don't know. Those ladders looked terrifying. Yes. Like, single step ladder. Oh, like, rickety, wooden, probably not maintained for 20 plus years. Yeah. Yeah, they looked scary. I mean, ladders in general are scary. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially when Mortal Kombat ladders <laughs> get down to the uh, yeah. that's all I got yeah I, I did appreciate the um, uh, I, I watching this is like is this where the Resident Evil lasers come from no <laughs> no I mean it might be where the laser hallway from Ocean's 12 comes from it's, I mean this was a real thing before they had yeah when you like when that. you're in that jewelry shop and you know yeah. he's like taking note of everything i think that that's all realistic yeah. it the is it is stream was kind of kind of a really smart invention yeah uh, mm-hmm. it's like somebody happens to block the light from meeting that yeah. one contact spot all of a sudden the alarm goes off and, you know i just imagine instead of how they got past it which like i don't know about the rest of you had me like kind of like holding my teeth against each other Mm-hmm. Uh, I was thinking, like, one of these needs to do the Catherine Zeta-Jones putting their butt right, in the yeah, kind of yeah. thing. And then one of them needs to do the Jay and Silent Bob strike back. No, wait, nobody needs to do that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, going off like the the ballet part, that ballet feeling thing you were talking about, Aaron. Mm-hmm. When uh, the the scenes when Elaine Delon is in the the nightclub, mm-hmm. like the way it's shot and the way like everything is edited together in that part, it feels like a musical number will break out at any point. Mm, yeah. So. Yeah, I can see that. Wait, I just remembered something else I don't like about this movie. Okay. <laughs> No, t- no pinball. How oh, could yeah, it be a French right. New Wave movie if there's no pinball? Well, it doesn't it's have any posters of Humphrey Bogart. There's billiards. Yeah, that's true. That shows up bar games. Mm-hmm. And is this the same bar from Old Samurai? I don't think so. That bar, I feel like that one had more velvet. This one feels a little more modernist. I feel like Los Angeles had another bar where they had to go downstairs hmm. from the street level. It's unfortunately been years since I've seen the Samurai, but I feel like the main club in the Samurai had more velvet. Possibly. But, yeah, I can't remember uh, what it looks like. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, uh, I, got, I got nothing. This movie kind of rules. It's a slow build. <laughs> But the slow build is totally worth it. It pays and, off. Um, definitely. And um, oh, there's a little moment I, m- I forgot to mention when they're going through uh, to rob the the, the, the jewelry store. Um, Vogel sees a statue of a, na- a nude lady and <laughs> touches a boob as they as he walks by. <laughs> I could make yeah, a I'm mean joke about Italians here, but I won't. <laughs> I mean, I can make a mean joke about Europeans here, but I won't. It's yeah, a, a nice little funny thing. Is like, oh, yep. uh, he 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 is like the wild man, Volante. He, he's it's still in there. Yep. <laughs> and you know, for one one thing I do, one little one last little thing I'd like to note that I enjoyed is, you know, for all that, you know, as as was said earlier, like this is not a super quippy, snip, zippy movie. I do love Del- Delon's response to the goons who try to accost him at the pool. I was like, "Fine, I was losing anyway." And then he, fu- and then he like takes the cue upside oh, that yeah. guy's head. <laughs> that's a that's that is a darn good one-liner. That was good. I mean, that the best part of that, in my opinion, is when the other guy, you know, he grabs the arm of the guy oh, that yeah. has the gun and ends up shooting the other guy in the head. <laughs> like, yep. Wow. It's like who was the who was the murderer there? Yeah, that was a heck of a shot. It was the or firearm discipline. <laughs> and he takes the guns. They're very careful about all that stuff too. Yep. Okay, so uh, yeah, this uh, is movie is available. Plays. I think there's a Criterion. I don't pay attention to Criterion stuff anymore, so I'm not sure. There it was reissued on 4K, 4K late last year. Yep. Okay. Out yeah. of print for a long time, but it's back in print now for however long that lasts. I think it's also like rentable. Yes, yeah. I rented it on YouTube. I, I rented YouTube. it on Amazon. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I don't pay attention to Criterion anymore unless there's an African film, and then I have to get it. But if not, I I don't really care about Criterion anymore. Mm-hmm. Hey, they're slowly getting better. They've added, I think, like four more African films in the past like five years. So. <laughs> It, 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 they're up to like 10, I think. Mm. How many African films are in Vinegar Syndrome? 
Uh, zero. <laughs> okay, just check. But they don't have the resources that Criterion has. Oh, come on. I, I bet they could find some great stuff if they just it, took the time to pay attention. It, it gets into, like, ownership and game. Uh, I, I'll cut this part out, probably, but I'm talking to Mark Kessler about this, and he has a friend who, uh, like, programs <laughs> film festivals, and they try to get someone from the uh, Democratic Republic of Congo, but because there's some political strife going on, they physically could not get in contact Yeesh. with the person because mm. of political stuff happening. Yikes. And so that kind of got in the way of getting hold of the movie. So it's just uh, stuff like that can happen for certain parts of Africa where it's like, yes, they have movies, but getting them is kind of the problem at, at sometimes. But, uh, uh, yeah, so, uh, this is 1970. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll have the guests go first, so, um, <laughs> I don't know, Aaron, uh, Justin, you, c- you two can fight who goes first. <laughs> I'll, I'll go. I yield um, the floor. <laughs> so, I was, like, looking through 1970, and I only found one that I really liked from there, so I'm gonna mention two from 1972 that I think... I, I think you would like. Um, or, sorry, 1971, but then I'll also mention one from 1970. Okay, so my first one from 1971 is Vanishing Point, um, which is directed by Richard Serafian and stars uh, Barry Newman and some other people. Um, and it's about a car delivery driver by the name of Kowalski, and he is driving across the country um and he ends up in this like high speed chase um, with these two motorcycle police officers who try to stop him for speeding. Um, but it is it's a chase movie, which I'm not always a fan of, but this is done so well and this is another one that's like incredibly masculine. <laughs> um, I saw this at uh, there was a very little theater up in New York City when I was there maybe like ten ten years ago. And um he also pitch, he picks up like hitchhikers um, and uh, yeah, there's like um, a big crash at the end. So I won't spoil it for you, but it's, it's called the vanishing point or vanishing point. Um, and it's really good. I like that one. Um, my second one is possibly one that you've heard of. Um, I mean, I feel like you guys have heard of all of these, but um, it was new to me when I saw it a couple years ago called The Ceremony from 1971. It's a Japanese movie by uh, Oshima. Oh, I've um, heard that one. Yeah? Have you seen it? I haven't seen it. You should watch it. I so, have a rule with Oshima where I have to that I have to watch an Oshima first like the first week of every year. So. Oh, okay. Well, this could nope. be your it could 2024 be. Oshima. <laughs> That's a strange rule, Spencer. <laughs> I, it just sort of happened organically, I like and it. I kept doing it. I like it. As a um, for Polly Shore. Nice. <laughs> um, so this is, it takes place in, so it's in 1971, but it takes place like post-war Japan. And it is, it kind of follows like wedding and um, funeral ceremonies. So there's lots going on, but the most interesting thing about this movie is that one of the sons 
um, is supposed to get married and um, sh- uh, the I think it's like the wife dies or something and um, so before they get married but he, he has to go through the wedding ceremony anyway by himself and so it's this whole wedding ceremony where there's this like absentee bride and it's very very bizarre and very very interesting um yeah and then my 1970 truly 1970 movie is beyond the valley of the dolls um one of my favorite movies of all time it's very silly it is um was written by roger ebert it's a russ meyer movie so obviously problematic in lots of ways um but lots of great quotable lines it's very very like of its time it feels very like late 60s like psychedelic um it's pretty gory yeah beyond the yeah. value of the dolls that's it for me that movie rules i'm a big russ meyer guy mm-hmm. the, the, the reason that one is easily available because it's not an independent movie that's under his name because there's hmm. a legal stuff going on with his estate for y- decades so uh that's a fox movie so you can actually watch it nice good to know yeah the other ones are on youtube and shit so it's you can still find them anyway Sweet. uh uh mr harrison Alright, I have one and a half recommendations. The first and most complete, actually, I owe to you, Spencer. You are the one who encouraged me to watch mm-hmm. it. It's Ossie Davis's Cotton Comes to Harlem, um, mm. which actually made for a really interesting counterpoint to the Circle Rouge. They're both noir crime stories, but Davis adapts what I understand to be a fairly bleak book into a still fairly bleak but frequently incredibly funny detective story. The, all, the whole book series is pretty uh, bleak. It has a very mean sense of humor that I think is hilarious mm. that might turn off some people. I mean, I, from what I understand, like the unfinished last book, that's something. But, yeah, I was really, really taken with Calvin Lockhart's turn as the as the villain the scumbag reverend who is shamelessly grifting Harlem out of its money for a go nowhere we're going to rent we're going to buy a, a cruise ship and return to Africa mo- movement hmm. um, yeah. there is an incredibly cool gunfight between um, Godfrey Cambridge and Raymond St. Jacques um, detectives and the villains that starts with someone shooting a flare up into amidst this dark waterfront and as the flare falls the gunfight plays out leading to plenty of confusion and one really incredible man on fire moment Hmm. as in a guy literally goes up in flames Um, and yeah the the climax, which takes place at a burlesque, is I think kind of an encapsulation of what made them makes the movie so successful. In that you've got the secondary villain being disposed of in admittedly goofy fashion, while Lockhart having been beaten senseless by 
one of the by one of the detectives more or less outs himself as a grifting scumbag to people who put their trust and literally gave their money to him and his increasingly frantic attempts to try and hold on to their to their respect it's oh it, it is a hell of a vil, of, of a piece of villainous breakdown acting it's just marvelous um i rented that from apple it's a pretty quick 97 minutes and it's yeah it's excellent i i i am so glad spencer suggested i watch it i think um, kevin lockhart is in david lynch stuff I yeah I, I, I looked up his wikipedia page just now and uh, he he made it as far as twin peaks the return before he passed hmm. um yeah because he's in um the nick cage one in a really cool part oh nice wild at heart yeah. yes he's in that one briefly he's in yeah. a weird torture sequence in that movie oh yeah and my um, the second 1970 film I watched, which I actually had was unable to finish because my internet collapsed on me, was Robert Altman's Bruce McCloud, a movie that I read that it was Shelley Duvall's first film role, and she is delightful, um, vivacious and sunny, and wearing really, really, really striking eye makeup for a lot of it. Like, that's a fan. There's a fan page on social medias uh, for Shelley Duvall, but they, they explain the uh, eyelash thing. Oh, because it also it's turns like, up in Cotton Comes to Harlem. Like the burlesque yeah. dancer is wearing that wear, wears makeup in that style. It's um, a, t- a certain type of uh, lash that was popular at the time. That's like kind of like segmented. I have to look. It's very twiggy. To, you have to look up the what brand is, but there is like a specific brand and type of lash that. Okay. That was popular at the time. Yeah, like, it's well acted, and parts of it are very funny, and recognizing what it does well and acknowledging that I was unable to finish it, for entirely personal reasons, I couldn't stand it. <laughs> um, goes back to my awful film professor and his rather skewed perspective on Altman. Um, yeah, he the first class I ever took with him was a fairly comprehensive Altman course, Although we did not cover Brewster McCloud. And so much of what I can find frustrating about Altman, his propensity towards excessive shagginess, his sense of humor that is pointed and aimed in the right direction, but still crosses the line in from funny into not into mean past the point where it's funny. Mm. Um, like punches down a little bit? Not even that. Like, the vil- like the people he's making fun of are all pretty reprehensible, mm. but he sh- but, they're sure- but they sure get to go on at length about how reprehensible they are. Mm. And, like, it's like, just, like, this is literally a film where they're being killed, where they're being a- a- assassinated by a serial killer. Could he hurry up, please? Because I'm getting <laughs> really really worn out by their just constant viciousness mm. there's also this whole thing where there's a parody of Frank Bullet that I'm not really sure what to make heads or tails of um, I like, I, like it does a lot well it's just not something that I, that I, that I responded to that's fair a lot of people that's, that's a divisive one I love it and, and I, I get I why like, I, I get why allegedly, 
Allegedly, it's Altman's favorite movie that he made. <laughs> that tracks. Hmm. I think that's hilarious. That that's the one he says. This is the one that's good. <laughs> this is a great one. I think. Uh, that's it for you, Justin? Yes, it is. Okay, uh, I'll be quick with mine. Um, Zatoichi in the Festival of Fire. It's the good Zatoichi. It's the one with Nakadai as the villain, so you know it's going to be good. And uh, Pita from Female Prayer Roses is in it as well. Pita is a... I, I, I guess the easiest way to put, say is a, a trans actor. I don't know how they identify because I haven't found any concrete stuff it goes from he to she mm. uh, from depending on the source and the time period but Pina is in it uh, as well and they are just a great performer in everything I've seen them in and it's it's, it's a Zatoichi movie there's sword fights there's silly humor and it's not gonna die so you, there's gonna be an awesome sword fight at some point okay other one is Stray Cat Rock Delinquent Girl Boss and Stray Cat Rock Sex Hunter. Uh, this is a good starter series for Pinky Violence because it, it's not too gross. It doesn't go too far the way other series go. It's still really fun and for most part light. But uh, there's super. Uh, there's it's like a fun, useful energy. And these two are think are some of the most accessible ones because some mm. other ones of the series get very specifically Japanese with what was going on in the early 70s to the point where <laughs> it's I, I, ha I had to look up like uh, certain cultural stuff at the time just to make sense of certain plot lines because I had no fucking idea what it was even referring to it's like it gets that, that type of like cultural uh, culture specific but they're good movies. Uh, Sex Hunter is the gross one, although compared to other m movies in this subgenre, it, it can get a lot more questionable. But uh, yeah, fun series. Make Kaji, my favorite action star of all time. And um, Soleil O, it's a great movie. Did an episode on it last season. Watch that movie. It's that's uh, a must watch. It's important, but it's also really good, and uh, it's a great African film that should be more easily available, but is not as available as it should be. I think it's uh, I think Med Hondo was Mauritanian. I forgot where where Med Hondo was from. Anyway, but uh, yeah, it's Med Hondo's director, and he, he he's a, a very important figure for African cinema. And he was the dub actor in France for Eddie Murphy at one point too. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> That's it. Uh, Jay Diesel. All right. We've talked about 1970 a lot. In fact, yeah, we just we talked about it when we recorded the Blind Blind Woman's Curse episode. Yeah. So <laughs> that left me with uh, Trog, which I think I already oh. talked about. But uh, yeah. Yeah. The Joan Crawford movie. Yeah. Yep. Her last movie. Mm -hmm. Knocks it out of the park. Just kidding. That's a terrible movie. <laughs> uh, no, I watched a movie on purpose, which is very odd for me. Uh, usually I have to be directed to watch a movie. But uh, the movie I 
want to talk about is Getting Straight, directed by Richard Rush, starring Elliot Gould and Candace Bergen. Hmm. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, it's it's kind of like The Graduate if uh, you didn't hate the main character, even though you kind of hate the main character. Uh, I don't know if everyone feels that way about uh, The Graduate in The Graduate. <laughs> Ooh, Harrison Ford is in this. Yes, he is. Wow. Yeah, he uh, plays a neighbor, and he, he acts stone. He probably was stone. Uh, but uh, Elliot Gould <laughs> is... Uh, older man he he's already fought in uh vietnam came back but he was big time protester you know really really working for people as opposed to capitalism and right now he's gone back to school he's getting his master's degrees or at least he's trying to and he's just trying to keep his shit long uh, together long enough to get that master's degree but he has associations with all the revolutionaries, you know, and all these things. Like, there, uh, Max Julian, the star of the Mac, is in this movie. Mm. And, uh, you know, he's, of course, on the more rebellious side. And everyone wants to ask uh, Elliot Gould's character, like, that's right, right? And usually he's got his nose stuck in a book or he's just trying to find a place where he can sit down for one goddamn second. It's like, uh, uh, what? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just kind of mentions off some really intelligent reference just because it's like part of his life. That's all it was, was learning about the system, learning how to fight the system, learning legal precedences and stuff like this. And it's... Um, he has relationships with professors that know he's smart but think that he's kind of leaning the wrong way and of course they're all part of the problem and he's part of the problem in the sense of like Candace, he treats Candace Bergen like shit in this movie mm. and they have they have a relationship all the through including uh, spoiler a happyish ending and it's just ugh. Uh, Lauren, Lauren Wilford, who is, uh, is that a Dark Room, Bright Wall? Or Bright yes, Wall, Dark Room? she's an editor there, I mm-hmm. think. She has an excellent review, uh, which is, I've never seen someone who needed to get dumped more than Elliot Gould needs to be get dumped in this movie. <laughs> like, when it comes to that, he seems to have very little respect for for people that are now trying to be the revolutionaries, are now trying to stand up against the mediocrity of, of life and the Vietnam War and all this stuff. And it's something that literally up until basically the end of the movie, before he finally snaps and realizes how he's been acting. And it's really worth the ride the whole time like I, I enjoy this more than the graduate the graduate eventually feels like kind of a slumber fest at mm-hmm. points you know you, you can only hear parsley sage rosemary and thyme so many <laughs> times before you want to take a little nappy poosker um, but this this has good music in it it's got a lot of party scenes it's got way more nudity which is one of my chief complaints about the graduate not not enough nudity um, <laughs> it's and uh, it's on Amazon Prime. Not so. enough tan lines from exactly. What's her face? Yeah, from uh, Robinson. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I can. I'm looking it up right now, and it looks like um, 
like a real life version of the gra- like a graduate that takes place in our our universe. Yes, because the graduate I think is so atmospheric and is like a tone poem in some kind of way, and this feels like a real character story. Yeah, that's interesting. I've never heard of it. Look it up. Yeah, it's, I'm intrigued. Spencer it has Cecil mm-hmm. Kellaway in it. And you will remember Cecil Kellaway as the journalist in Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. Charlotte. Oh. Oh, I, I, I like that, that movie. movie. Mm-hmm. Bruce Pretty Dern. Cool. Oh yeah, that's right. Bruce Dern is in yeah. the beginning of that movie. Bruce Dern in this? No, and no, so he, is, um, he's not, not getting straight. He's in Hush Hush. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And George Kennedy for that one scene. Yep, that single scene. That's a great scene. It is the best scene. It is. George Kennedy was always the best. It's like, they should have put him on the poster. Starring George Kennedy as the <laughs> construction guy for one scene. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I recommend this movie. And you could tell me if it's you also hate it. Like, I would love to talk to somebody about this movie. It would be cool. Okay. Yeah, Final schedule it, Joel. <laughs> it might fit oh, in okay. with uh, next season. Uh, yeah, so next season... That's that other episodes next season is altman it's also the last oh season because i'm again i've run out of topics i want to talk about for pretty much <laughs> he's tired okay he's just tired yeah i i want to do others other podcast stuff that's not uh going through a director's filmography for two years anymore it's mm. I, want, I want a low break for a while <laughs> forever maybe anyway yeah, but uh, yeah, uh, we got one person uh for Altman episode, which is Brewster McCloud, and uh, which oh. went oh, unprompted. Oh, you got oh. you got the actual Brewster McCloud to be for that episode. That's crazy. Yes. <laughs> no, it's John Cribs. He, oh. I told him I told him we're doing Altman. And he said I want Brewster McCloud. I would I be like, interested in either Quintet or Gosford Park, or The Long Goodbye. But I imagine that one's popular. So. Uh, no I'm, one doing, I'm doing the long goodbye by myself. Like Spencer's <laughs> not even going to be on that episode. I'm an Elliot Goldhead. What can I say? Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll keep you in mind for Gosford Park and uh, Quintet. Have you seen Quintet? Bits and pieces. Okay, that's one a lot of people hate, and I'm right in the middle with Quintet. I think it's interesting, but it goes on for half an hour too long. Yeah, I mean, I'll take an interesting failure over a boring success, so... Yeah, and it has Fernando Rey in it, too, which is like, okay, I guess I'll watch it. <laughs> He's kind of great. Jesus Christ, that's going to be a long... It's going to be a long season. Mm-hmm. It will be. <laughs> yeah. No wonder you want to quit. Not much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've run out of stuff I want to talk about. <laughs> Pretty much. Anyway, so, uh... Aaron, uh, Justin, thank you for your time. Thanks um, for having us. A- thank you very much. You're welcome. Uh, Aaron, you will be back for Tung Wong Fu and the oh, super yeah. the super bright and breezy talk to her. <laughs> 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 that movie's so, yeah, we so light. Scheduled that. Yeah. Gosh, that's it's been a while since we scheduled that or talked about yeah. that. That's a real um, light and breezy movie. It's yeah. uh, very going to be very easy discussion to have. <laughs> it's gonna t- be tough. <laughs> yeah, uh, Justin, have you seen Talk to Her? 
I have not. Alma Devar is an almost complete blind spot for me, so... Oh. Don't start there. Start somewhere else. No, don't start there. <laughs> Duly noted. Start with that one. The sound. Oh, the wait. soundtrack to talk to her is one of my absolute favorite right. soundtracks of all time, though. It's, all right. Yeah. The music in that is really beautiful. Start but with... It is, it's very problematic, the movie. Oh, I'm also about to regret Iglesias. I know him for his John le Carré work. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Start with, uh, I'm so, or, yeah, I'm so excited. All right. Sounds good. Don't listen okay, to I me. Say, what the hell? I th- I th- I'd say start with All About My Mother. Start with like the, like the Yeah, All About My Mother. Classic. Yeah. It's okay. very accessible. It's very entertaining. Yeah. Women and on I the think it does. I think I may yeah, have seen Volver at one point, but that was years ago, and I remember almost nothing about it. It's got Penelope yeah. Cruz in it. <laughs> yes, I remember <laughs> that's, that. That's it. That's all we got. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, work up to talk to her. Don't, don't noted. Start there. <laughs> All about my mother is a perfect place to start. All right. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. If you like yeah. John Waters' trashy comedy, the early ones you, uh, are 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 there too. But I don't know if you're you're uh, how you are with like trashy John Waters stuff. So <laughs> might like might not like the early ones. I'll try anything once. Yeah, so. It's like what if, it's like what if Pink Pink Flamingos had five thousand more dollars and looked slightly better. <laughs> Five thousand more dollars. I think it's a higher budget than that. Maybe maybe seven thousand more dollars. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. So uh, let's see. What do I got? Stuff. Um. Oh, I'm a recording with Daniel at, at, at on much on the Mustachio Podcastio this week, talking about King of Comedy. I can't wait to hear how much he will probably hate that movie and be creeped out by De Niro in it. It is a marvelously creepy performance. Mm-hmm. It's a masterpiece. I love it so much. It's that type of comedy. It's weird and mean. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm on that. Uh, but I was on Movies from Hell earlier this year talking about the night comes for us and Ooh, yes, yes, another yes, yes, yes. It's moves from hell, so don't don't get too excited. We kinda go off topic for most of it. But it's the night comes for us. Anyone who talks about that is a good any anytime anyone talks about that that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, but just listen to Moves from Hell once and you'll be like, Oh, it's not about the movie, it's about uh the co the host de- derailing everything. <laughs> that's the point of the show. <laughs> and I have moved. I have a movie blog on Japanese movies that I haven't updated in almost three years. In an African history blog, I haven't updated in almost three years. Will I get back to it? I don't fucking know. <laughs> Hopefully, jury's out. <laughs> but they're out there. They're okay, I guess. <laughs> and yeah, that's it. Um, Aaron, Justin, you got stuff. Um. Aaron, you want to go first? Um, my only thing to plug, so I don't really have any active podcasts going on, but um, I'm a public librarian, and I always, always ask that people support their local public library by checking out items from there. That's it. Happy to. Um, I am a fairly regular writer at the Chicago-based film site The Spool. I most recently covered the baffling children's film Inspector Son. And I've got some other stuff in the works that should, I hope, make for some good writing. I cover comics and video games over at AIPT, um, formerly Adventures in Poor Taste. Um, and I've 
actually been doing a lot of game writing this year, which has been really rewarding. I'm, it's it's work I'm really proud of. Um, so yeah, you can find me the you can find me there, and I pop up other places every now and again. Yeah. Oh, I forgot. I write for Grumpire sometimes. I have a piece on Godfrey Cambridge in uh, 1970, and yeah, uh, the two movies he starred in. You should three. read it. It's excellent. But yeah, mm -hmm. I wrote uh, uh, May May 27, 1970. Cotton Club of Harlem and A Watermelon Man came out the same day. Both starring mm. Godfrey Cambridge. Both have radical black directors. Both are like aggressively black movies. One is uh, deeply mean and uncomfortable, and Get Out takes a, a lot from it. Hmm. And uh, except it's like, what if Watermelon Man wasn't a depressing movie where it's like racism is fucked up and there's no solution what if, what if it has a happy ending instead oh boy but I like watermelon because it's so dark and mean uh, and yeah so I write for Grandpire sometimes you can find various stuff on there that I've contributed to also uh, J-Dog you got nothing still nothing but the reality of our own lives <laughs> Just your kitty That's cat. That's enough. Uh, no, there you I, go. <laughs> I'm gonna stop recording now. All right. Theme music is by James Fell. Our logo is by Andrew Bargeron. You can find him as Jemetsko on Threadless, TeePublic, Redbubble, Shirt Woot Catalog, and T Theory. That is spelled G I M E T Z C O. You can find our show in previous seasons on Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, and other places where you can find podcasts.